everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast, where this week we talk about the premiere of Critical Role Season 3, I talk about Young Justice Seasons 3 and 4, and Pokemon. That's right, the vast majority of this episode is talking about Critical Role Season 3 premiere, so if you didn't see it or you don't care, well, there's that. Then we talk about Young Justice Season 3 and the first couple of episodes of Young Justice Season 4, and then I wrap up the whole thing by talking about what a big dumb Pokemon nerd I am. But first, right at the top of the podcast, I got some news that I want to talk to you guys about. Number one, the Patreon is gone uh, for a couple of reasons, but the the premiere of which is that I did not like the fact that creatively there was this divide in in my, my brain space being like, oh, I want to make this thing. Well, is that just for the general public or is that for Patreon? Doing that whole, like, exclusive thing, I was just, I wasn't a fan of it. Uh, so I decided that that wasn't really the route I wanted to go for that kind of stuff. Because, uh, I just, I don't, I don't like the, the exclusive thing. And just, like, I want things to be available for everybody. That being said, everything will be available for everybody. But some things will cost money. Um, cause man's gotta eat. So, the plan is I am going to bring back the Going Upcast store, uh, which will host things like the movie commentary tracks, which will be yours forever for a one-time fee of, I haven't figured it out yet. Um, so, yeah, it's not, it's not up and running yet, mostly because it's currently 8 o'clock at night, the, the day before the podcast airs. And I'm exhausted, so I don't feel like half-assing a, a website design um, the night before it's supposed to go out. So I'm going to give myself a little bit more time to make it look nice and pretty, and then stuff will go up there. So yeah, this is this is part of a, of a huge website revamp that I'm going through. Uh, we're going to update how things look. We're going to update like the blurbs and stuff like that. I'm going to change out some of the pictures. We're going to add the store. I'm going to put things on the store. It's going to be great. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So I just wanted to let you all know that that is, that's what's going on. And pretty much everything that was exclusive on Patreon is going to find its way onto the main site. So if you never saw some of the videos or you never heard the movie's commentary tracks, all of those things will become available through the Going Upcast store. I just haven't gotten there yet. So that is, that is the, the idea there. Um, I'm also going to be bringing back the option if anybody wants a custom audiobook. Um, I, I, long ago I said I would do that, and just recently we've got, we got a taker, uh, who has subscribed to my services for a custom rating, and I want to make sure that everybody is aware that that is an option. Now, of course, it's, that's a very much like, we figure out pricing based on length of book and desired turnaround. Um, as well as any special requests you may have within the book, like voices and things like that of that nature. Um, but that is a that is a service I also offer. So if you're just something you're interested in, you're just sitting there being like, man, I, I need Andrew to read War and Peace. Well, get ready to pay me a lot of money because that's a big book. But anyway, um, yeah, so those, those are all things going on in the background. So never again will you hear me utter the words about Patreon. That's just not a thing anymore. Um, I have, I've deactivated the site on Patreon. It is still technically a thing. Like I can turn it on basically whenever, but for right now, I'm going to, I'm going to try it in a different direction simply because I don't like having that creative disparity. And in my head, while I think it's fine to charge for certain things, I want it so that everybody has access to it. And I felt like Patreon was, was just kind of like. Yeah, you have access to it, but only as long as you're a subscriber. You have access to it for a limited time. And I'm like, no, no. I think if you if you spend money for a thing, it should just be yours forever. Um, so that's that's the new that's the new mentality. Um, hopefully, my goal is to have this up and running by next week. Um, because I have the plan, I just need to do it. And um, pretty much as this week progresses, I will have kind of more and more free time towards the end of the week, at which point I hope to actually get some of that stuff done. So yes, thank you all for bearing with me. Um, that is pretty much all I had to say on that topic. Uh, the Hobbit ends this week, uh, and Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring begins shortly afterwards. The Hobbit music 
album will debut on Wednesday, I believe. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Wednesday. Uh, almost positive about that. If it's not Wednesday, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Wednesday. So that'll come out this week, and essentially what it's going to do is it's going to be like the last chapter of The Hobbit. Next day, it's the, the Hobbit album, and then the day after that is when Lord of the Rings begins. I want to give a little bit of breathing room in between, um, mostly because I have many Lord of the Rings chapters to record, and I'm, I'm not as ahead as I was. Reading The Hobbit, like, all in one day basically gave me three weeks for me to just fuck around and get nothing done, so I, I, I wasted that time. Um, yes. Anyway, let's talk about Critical Role. First thing we're going to talk about this week is Season 3, Episode 1 of Critical Role. It is currently 11.09 at night, uh, Thursday night. The episode just ended a little bit ago, a couple minutes. And so I wanted to talk about uh, what the fuck went down. Um, I should have taken some notes. I did not. Um, so I'm, I might struggle to remember some of these names. Thankfully, uh, that might not be as big of an issue as, uh, as I thought. So just a quick heads up. If you haven't seen episode one, I'm going to spoil the living hell out of it. And I will continue to do that for all of season three of Critic Role, most likely. Um, it's, it's just gonna, I want to talk about it. And provide that little bit of a recap for those people who didn't see it. Um, but fortunately, I'm also providing this recap like one, two, three, four days after it aired. So, um, and the VOD drops on YouTube on Mondays. So, it is publicly available the day before I recap it. So, it's, it works out in my head. Anyway, um, first off, the set is oh, just fantastic. It is absolutely gorgeous. The We saw a couple of things in terms of what the set can do for special effects. Um, or just immersion, really. I mean, I know... I can only imagine how immersive it was to actually sit in that room. The Tavern of Tales, as they have called it. Um, I was fucking immersed as an audience member. So, the fact that it reached, like, that level was impressive. Um, and essentially what we saw was... Uh, shifts in terms of time of day. It went from like day to sunset to night back to day. And then we had interior fireplace, which came with fire crackling sounds and a warm red light. Um, all of those things I think are phenomenal. The lighting was so good that like the, the color tone of the players altered as well with the lighting change, um, which really fucking adds to the whole thing when everybody looks kind of pale at night and very warm and sunset, you know, those sorts of things. It just, it looked phenomenal. And we know from the trailer video that it's also capable of doing like weather. And that's the bit I'm really excited for. Like, I cannot wait to see what the set looks like if they're in like a blizzard. You know, I think it's gonna be fucking out of this world. But that right there just set off the whole thing so fucking well. And I'm already used to it. Um, If that makes sense, like, one of the main reasons I can't go back and, like, watch early episodes of Vox Machina is they're just, like, playing at, like, some shitty tables in the middle of the room and the quality just kind of sucks. Um, but, like, even when they went into combat, and there was a little bit of combat in the first episode, um, just, like, wide camera angles, and you could see everybody so fucking clearly. It was amazing. Like, I almost think I need to watch these new episodes, like, on, like, a bigger screen than what my computer has. It's kind of insane i almost like this is so good it makes me wish i still had my playstation vr headset which was like the biggest screen you could ever have just to sit there and watch this shit um so i'm sony you need to come out with that playstation vr too because i need the screen to watch critical role season three in so the set's phenomenal and the cast was adorable as always um and in a uh, break from tradition, but a brilliant way to introduce characters. We got introduced to characters a handful at a time. Um, it started with Laura and Marisha, uh, who created, um, they have a shared backstory, uh, from what we could tell for a couple of years. Uh, Imogen? 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 I can't remember. Laura, um, is a level three human sorcerer with a 
slight Southern Belle accent, um, which, and I mean, for the art of her is absolutely adorable. Um, but I gotta be fully transparent here. Southern Belle is like fucking cuts right to my core of like, I fucking love this character. So as of right now, that's, I mean, I was so confident that was going to be my favorite. And I think it still might be, um, cause of just who I am and just what I've, that's uh, just, mm, Southern Belle. Um, Marisha's character, this grunge-esque warlock slash sorcerer, I think. Um, person named Ludna, um, I believe is what they're called. Um, not Ludeneth. Ludeneth was a, a character in the last game. I think it's Ludna. Um, that aesthetic made me think of the fucking Killer Instinct fighter. That's very, like, grunge-esque. Um, and it's, like, very, uh, Japanese horror is how I would describe it. Um, we're not entirely sure what's up with them. Um, to be perfectly honest, I've got this this beautiful piece of art here of uh, of the characters that I'm looking at, and I mean the character is very Marisha. Um, I enjoy the fact that I mean it doesn't seem immediately obvious that it's inspired by Avatar: The Last Airbender, like her last two characters, where Keyleth was and the whole Arishar and the Aramente thing was very much Aang's journey, and then Beauregard was very much Korra. With like the blue and the ass kicking and the and the like the badassness. Um the only thing I can think of is like this gives me like Baba Yaga vibes. I get bloodbender vibes, like Yama, the the bloodbender from season three. Um but she's she's younger than that. Um at least the art makes her seem younger. Um but there is there is a distinct aesthetic there that I think a lot of people are really gonna love. Very horror driven. Uh and a slight British accent, um, is what I would um, 14, darling. You know, that, she sounds a lot like Vexalia. Um, but there's a little bit of an accent. I will give props to Marisha and Laura for both having accents that are, that both seemed incredibly natural, yet light. They're not incredibly heavy, thick accents like, howdy, y'all! It's not that bad. It's very subtle. Um, and it just, just, oh, it's so fucking smooth. You can tell that these were voices, uh, well rehearsed, which adds to the characters. So we see them for a while, and they are trying to get into a library. Um, and later on, we we get a, a an excuse from uh, Laura's character, Im again. I'm I'm probably butchering that. I'm, it's going to take me a while to learn these characters. Um, that she wants to know where like magic comes from, which like smatters of Caleb from. I mean, the desire to go to the library, the desire to learn more about magic. We get a little bit of Caleb vibes. I think it's a cover. I think she's after something else entirely. Um, just like kind of like with the, the Mighty Nine completely sh like shattered my ability to trust people. Because I think everybody here is up to some fucking mischief and I don't trust any of them. Um, but that's what they're up to. And then uh, a little while on later, we get Talison and Sam coming in and they have a joint backstory. Which, I mean, right there. So Laura and Marisha never had joint backstories. You know, Keyleth and Vexalia got along really well, but they weren't joint backstories, you know, and there was the whole, like, they both loved um, Vaxeldan in, in their own way. Um, but they weren't, like, unified in the past. And Taliesin and Sam have never been unified in the past, mostly because, at least in Season 2, Taliesin's characters didn't really hang around long enough in order for there to be a unified background um, prior to their introduction. And um, Percy and Scanlan, not so much. So having those two that's a lot of fun um and i'm fucking here for it and talison's character reminds me a lot of his um cinder brush the high school monster one shot they did um he reminds me a lot of that character kind of like kind of like on the outskirts um a little bit of a shit used to like just a like a rougher way of life uh gambling drinking not a care in the world um, and Taliesin's really good at characters like that. Just characters not giving a fuck. He tried this with Molly Mock in the beginning, but Molly Mock didn't really hang out long enough for that to really pay off. Um, and this new character whose name is, um, Ashton? Arshton? I think it's Ashton. Um, Ashton. 
because uh, I kept thinking Ashton Kutcher, uh, is an Earth Ganassi barbarian with a glass hammer. Um, and apparently the back of his jacket says, just don't, which I mean, outfit wise, I can't wait to see the cosplay, uh, that some of these, some fucking people are going to make, you know, they're already on it. Um, but uh, a jacket that says, just don't on the back. And it's, it looks really fucking good. I also love the fact that he's like, he's a damaged, like earth Ganassi where he's been repaired with gold and that Japanese style, which is just fucking phenomenal. Sam's character is the biggest surprise for me and that's saying a lot given what happens in this episode sam is a automaton that drives around on one wheel um artistically reminiscent of martin short's character from treasure planet um just instead of legs he has a wheel and he just kind of wheels around um named fresh cut grass or fg fcg for short um also with a southern accent sunny day to you um and instantly fell in love like sam always kills it when it comes to everything sam does um and the new drinking vessel being a busted up gas canister with a chalkboard on the front for messages is goddamn inspired so sam once again just surprising everybody i don't understand how he can be that consistently on point for so many years it is it is truly remarkable his ad in the beginning with the fucking musical number and then all of that shit with fresh cut grass i am absolutely blown away by sam's creativity it truly seems to have no end and the fact that he can not only surprise and delight us the audience but still surprise and delight his friends is is next level. He's a cleric. So we've got two spellcasters. Sorcerer, warlock, sorcerer, uh, barbarian for tanking and cleric for healing. So good good party balance. So far, so good. Um, And the two of them... Uh, fucking... I can't remember his goddamn name. His name is uh, Ashton and fresh, Freshly Cut Grass. Um, are in like a hostel and they just start wandering around town and eventually bump into the rest of the party members outside of a bar after like looking to see if they need any help and there's some combat that occurred right outside the bar and that's how like the party really comes together is the, is the combat rant. Um, but before that, we switch over to three other characters. We got Liam, Ashley, and surprise guest Robbie Damon reprising their characters from Exandria Unlimited. Orem, Fern, and, uh, God fucking damn it. Dorian. Dorian Gray. So, I watched most of Exandria Unlimited. I don't know how it ended. Clearly, these characters didn't die because, um, I actually went back and checked. This campaign takes place a year before the Mighty Nine campaign begins. Which is interesting. That they would put them so close together. But it takes place after Exandria Unlimited. So these characters are... They they are known to each other. Um, my knowledge of these characters is that Dorian is a bard. Orem is a fighter. And Fern is a druid. Um, at least that is that is my current guess. Uh, Fern's left hand is just completely black with long fingernails. So clearly something fucking happened to Fern um, at some point. But they show up. They don't seem... Like, I'm sure somebody who watched Exandria Unlimited might know why they're here. Um, I don't. And I don't think it really matters. Because the other party members don't know why they're here. So, in that classic, there are characters there to help explain the exposition to the audience sort of style. Like Luke Skywalker in the original Star Wars being like, What's the Force? And then we learn about the Force through Luke. The rest of the party members not knowing the Exandria Unlimited characters and are meeting them for the first time will service the audience who did not watch Exandria Unlimited. Um, I'm sure there are some things that you can appreciate if you did watch it, but I don't think it's necessary um, because they do such a good job of like being their characters that you learn a lot about them in the interactions um, there and then. And I have theories about those three and we'll get to them in a little bit, but they show up on like an airship. They came into town and they're here to look for somebody, I think. 
um, and they're wandering through town, and then they meet into the combat. And then we get into combat, which appears to be just be a fight against various pieces of magical furniture. Uh, and then the final character shows up at the tail end of the combat, uh, which is Travis, of course, reprising his character, Sir Bertram Bell, from the Search of Grog one-shot, which is a deep fucking pull. And if you're keeping track at home, yes, that is four new characters and four reoccurring characters at the start of Season 3, which is, of course, completely different than what we have ever experienced before. Um... In the past, it has been completely new characters. I do have a theory, and I'm going to get into it. Um, Bertram shows up, and he's just horribly impressed by uh, their their prowess of, of combat. Um, Travis being an old man uh, in Bertram Bell is priceless. I don't really want to go into, like, I don't want to quote jokes and stuff like that in these recaps. That's not really what I'm here for. Um, all I'll say is that... Travis has this ability to make me laugh harder with his performances better than anybody. And Travis being kind of kind of clueless and, and bumbling, yet have this air of like unerring confidence that is clearly not earned, is simply delightful. Um, so Bertram Bell is excellent. The fact that there are no characters in this that I dislike is incredible everybody brings something to the table i have a sneaking suspicion that they're all in their own way full of shit and are up to something because the mighty nine has screwed me for trusting these characters but i love them all right now i think i think they're delightful but i i think they are all putting on airs um except maybe marisha's character marisha's character is seems fairly um honest with what they're about because it seems like it's implied that they're up to some mischief, like, right out the gate. So, it'd be a surprise if they weren't up to mischief, and they were just naturally creepy. But, I don't think you'd design a character where literal black liquid drips off of their hands without something going on there. So, there's there's something going on there. Um, anyway, Bertram Bell shows up, and he goes like a, Well, you know, I've got some connections of uh, this, uh, this lord in town who might be able to get you guys some work, get you, get you noticed. And, uh, for various reasons, the entire party more or less needs the work, whether it's Talison's character who needs money, whether it's the Alexandria Unlimited crew who are looking for somebody or whether it is, uh, Imogen and, uh, Laudne who need to get into a library and they can't do that without a reputation. So in a flawless, seamless, gorgeous way of storytelling matt has somehow managed to craft a situation with tap with travis's help um to get the party together and unified and going after one thing in like three hours and it happened naturally and it happened like almost spun like spontaneously spontaneous spontaneously there we go that's the word um but bringing the characters one at a time giving us time to get to know them and slowly introducing them and then throwing them into combat and then putting them together because of the situation and then having this lead like absolute perfection um and they go off to go talk to the lord and the lord is like well then prove yourself and then he launches at them um and that will be the combat for for the next episode here's my theory the exandria unlimited crew i think is performing the Star Trek The Next Generation slash Legend of Korra move. Which is when you have a follow-up to a show that was pretty well received, characters from that show will appear in the follow-up to transition. In Star Trek The Next Generation, it was Bones. In Legend of Korra, it was Katara. My Little Pony, it was the main six. Here, it's the Alexandria Limited crew. I don't think they're going to be around forever. I think what we're, I think this is one of the many things Matt was talking about when it came to throw out all expectations. The reoccurrence of four characters from previous games to me says this this idea. I think we're going to see these characters. I think they're going to disappear. I think we're going to get new characters. I think they're going to disappear. I think we're going to get old characters coming back. 
I think this this season's going to be a lot more free for him, and I think the scope of it is going to be larger, containing a couple different story arcs and a couple of different party combinations, is my theory. For one thing, I don't think Robbie's going to hang out the entire season three. Do not get me lo- wrong. Robbie absolutely killed it in this episode, and he is a goddamn delight. All right? There are many things I didn't like about Exandria Unlimited. Robbie Damon was not one of them. Robbie Damon... I love his character. I love the bard. I love his performance. I think he is a, a natural fit. I think he fits right in. I love him to pieces. I don't think he's hanging around forever. I, I think he's going to spot every now and then. And I, I don't think when he leaves after like the next couple of episodes, as is my prediction, I don't think that's going to be the last time we see him. And when he leaves, I think the rest of the Exandria and Liberty crew is going to go with him. And Ashley and Liam are going to have new characters. That's my prediction. That's kind of where I'm at right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of those alt weeks, right? Like week four of the month, we got like weird short episodes of smaller groups doing stuff off on their own. Like how goddamn sweet would it be if like every now and then there was like a, a small, maybe like hour, two hour episode of the Exandria Unlimited crew after they've left the main party, like doing their quest before they return. I think that level, that multi-leveled tier of storytelling, I think is is what Matt's going for. Because here's the thing. A straightforward D&D game, he's been doing that for decades. He's done it on the big platform a couple of times, right? He With, with fucking Vox Machina, with the Mighty Nine. He's done straightforward campaigns. I think Matt wanted a new challenge. And I think the team was all gung-ho for it. And I can't think of a natural progression for a challenging storytelling than juggling multiple parties and multiple storylines at the same time. So that's my prediction. I think we're going to get, I think we're going to see a lot of NPC guest stars. I think we're going to see a lot of the core cast playing different characters and I think we're going to see multiple different threads is what I think might make it more complicated for the viewers to keep up, but I trust their ability to keep it focused and keep it streamlined. Um, of course I could be wrong and this could be the core group for the entire campaign. I highly doubt it, but it could be, um, but I highly fucking doubt it. Um, another thing I predict is that because they started at level three, I'm pretty sure this party played levels one and two. I think they did it in the months intervening, and I think they did it off camera, obviously, because we didn't see it. Um, And I think that is incredibly smart for a thing like this. I I feel like, I think the Mighty Nine started at level one. I could be wrong, but I could go back and check. Um, And it kind of showed that they didn't really know their characters in the beginning. And it took a while before the Mighty Nine started to feel like fully fleshed out characters. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it did. And I think the pressure of the new show and um, having to do it all on, on stream and having to do it live and all that stuff probably didn't help the creative process. I think doing the first two levels, playing a couple of sessions in a vacuum, just them, makes a ton of fucking sense. Not only do they get to develop their fucking characters, but they get to like learn how the parties interact with each other, especially if you have a joint backstory. So that's my thing. I think that's what went down. Um, and I am absolutely here for it. I'm definitely not sitting there being like, but anyone has seen those episodes because that's not the point. The point is for them to tell us an amazing story. And if doing some stuff before stream and the months in between helps them do that, then absolutely I'm on board. You, you'd be crazy not to because it fucking showed. This intro episode was completely devoid of problems. Like, I was sucked into the story right out the gate. It, I loved the characters. I loved the interactions. Everybody seemed to know exactly what they were doing. They were having a great time. Like, there were a couple of moments where they completely broke down. It was classic Critical Role, as great as you could hope. Like, 
what a fucking intro episode for new people to come in on this shit because it's incredible. If anything, it's ruined them for the other stuff because the quality of the new set, the video quality was better. The sound was amazing. 5.1 surround sound for a goddamn Twitch stream. All right. The the characters were incredibly well developed. Everybody's performances and goals made complete sense. Like, good luck going back and watching anything. Because, honestly, I think this I think you've ruined people for watching your old stuff. Um, Because they're going to go back and be like, Oh, man, I would love to watch The Mighty Nine, but the quality is just not as good. And they, they haven't figured out the characters, and it's kind of bumbling. And, uh, I talked to some friends, and they said it got really good after episode, like, 27. It's just like, well, what happens in the first couple of... Oh, man, it's too much. I'm just going to... I'm just going to stick with this. So, I absolutely loved it. Not a character I didn't like. Um, in terms of new characters, I mean, Laura and Sam definitely got my stuff. I absolutely think Talison is killing it with his... Uh, um, somebody on Reddit called him a punk rock character. Because he's Earth Ganassi and he's literally made of rocks. And he is a bit of a punk, so... I get it. I love it. Bertram Bell... Oh man, yeah. So when when he was talking about throwing like some wrenches into the goddamn, he, I mean into the season or uh, defying our expectations, I think we got a hint of what that looks like. I think there's more to come, but I think we got a hint of it. I think I think the other prediction of we're gonna have guest stars playing villains, um, and NPCs is going to be come true. Um, I think I think we're gonna see that. Another thing I noticed through the the descriptions is we got a lot of, for lack of a better term, we got a lot of furry characters in season three. There are some lion people. There were some elephant people. There was just a lot of a lot of a lot of animalia action going on. Um, also, because they took a moment to point it out, I too will point it out that um, both uh, Talison's characters and Sarah's characters use he and they pronouns. Which is excellent, um, but yeah, I think so. These are these are my my future predictions. I think everyone's full of shit. I think everybody's got some sort of dark ass secret in their past, and they're they've got some ulterior motives because of course they do, and they're all hiding it. That's that's a pretty easy prediction. I'm pretty goddamn confident in that. Um, I predict that we're gonna get multiple storylines and multiple sets of characters. Probably not more than two or three, but it's gonna happen. I think the EXU cast are gonna go away, but that's not gonna be the last we see of them. Then we're gonna get other characters in their place. And I think the party has already interacted with these characters so that when they show up, they won't be new characters. It will be the return of old friends. I wouldn't be surprised if the actors at the table played multiple characters at the same fucking time. I honestly wouldn't. Wouldn't be the first time that's happened either. Um, but I could absolutely see that coming down the pipeline. So, yeah, it was it was something special. And I quite simply cannot recommend you, you, you watch it enough. Um, it, is, it, is the, it is the pinnacle of this stuff. And here's the thing, right? The set's amazing. And the actors all clearly have a great time, and they've played together for a long time, and there's always that, like, oh man, I want to play D&D, but it's not going to be that good. Here's the thing, though. First of all, you don't need the set, all right? I mean, I love the set. I would pay significant money to run a session in that room, but you don't need the set. What you need are the storytelling techniques in order to set this up. That's what you need. That's the secret. That's how you take your, your game from going from just a good D&D game to like a great D&D game. And it's weaving that conjoined narrative. It's allowing your players to get to know each other through adventures. I wouldn't be surprised if Laura and Marisha had some one-shots on their own. Or Talison and Sam. If your characters have a joint backstory, if your players have joint backstories, run some smaller sessions for, the, for those people to get to know one another. How can you have a joint backstory if you never really, like, kind of get going? Um, I've worked with, with parties before in that 
that milieu and it makes a world of difference or when they talk to one another about like and they share each other's backstories and they kind of develop it together those things make a world of difference not only for the investment of your players because now they have like a buddy that they're like working to weave a narrative with but then you as the dm will be able to take their narrative and weave it into the story as well it's it does make a world of difference and i absolutely adore the this idea of starting the main campaign at level three and using level one and twos for backstory development because not only does it make sense mechanically but it completely changes the name of the game narratively because it allows them to figure shit out you put them in a vacuum be like this is the game this doesn't really count you know this isn't this isn't the main story this is the prologue this is the shit that leads up to it it's the the foundational level work in order to build out what needs to happen allows them to get to know the world allows them to develop npcs that can occur later on and come back and be interesting and it'll be like hey it's me it's jeremy again and they'll be like oh my god jeremy from the boat i remember jeremy from the boat what a great fucking moment that was that we just made there together as a DD group so those are the things that anyone can do all right you don't need 27 years of experience you don't need to be matthew mercer you don't need the voices you don't need the set you don't need any of that shit what you need is collaboration preparation execution and time is what you need because that's the you know those those are the elements that's what it really boils down to that's how you become a good dm and that's how you create a great setting is establishing the foundation and letting your players get to know one another and it fucking shows if you want to see what that looks like go watch season three episode one of critical role now available on youtube in vod form or you can go subscribe to him on twitch and you can you can watch him instantly or listen to the podcast the week after the episodes here i know i mean i know i'm actually i know exactly why i'm hawking him that hard because i fucking love critical role and this was a thought that occurred to me like as it was airing i didn't know how much i missed it you know, I've been met, I've been talking to my brother who's been furiously catching up. And I think he was like maybe an episode behind when season three began on season two. Because season two's finale is like seven hours long. There's no way in hell he was going to... There simply was not enough time. Even if he'd never slept, there wasn't enough time. It wasn't going to happen. So, um, he, uh, even talking to him about it, like it didn't really click with me. But there was something magical about turning everything off sitting down for four and a half hours and watching some critical role and like it, it's almost it kind of goes without saying that i'm a big fan but it didn't really sink in with me how big a fan i truly was until it started again i was smiling from ear to ear basically the entire time i was laughing with them and i was just having an absolute ball it was such a great fucking show and it's kind of, this might sound silly given how much critical role crap i actually own um but it's kind of easy to forget how much i love that goddamn show and those fucking those fucking people there's too fucking good so yes it was awesome um i've been watching critical roles for god damn it was it was early on in Vox Machina. I think I I think I clocked on like pretty much right as they hit Whitestone in, in um like the early thirty episodes, and then I went back and caught up on all the other ones with um the fucking Gorge and the Giants and all that shit. Um, that would have been when I lived on my own, so that would have been at least my junior year of college, which was twenty fifteen. So it's been six years seriously six years of critical role holy crap well you know actually that does make sense because my nom was about three years and so was vox machina so uh, six years and um six pretty pretty formative years as well one might say but goddamn absolutely incredible um and i'm going to do my best to keep watching it live for as long as i can and keep talking about it because so far we're off to a great start let's move on to the next thing in the podcast
long in coming, but I finally finished Young Justice Season 3. Now available on HBO Max. Um, and it's quite good. It is... It's so... I mean, I spoke a little bit about this when we did, like, the mid-season review. Um, how Season 1 and 2 and 3 are all so different that to really compare them is almost doing them a disservice because they each tell a different kind of story. Um, but Season 3 has a great combination of here's what the original like crew is up to here are some new challenges here's some like political stuff here's some meta trafficking stuff like there's some some big concepts going on in here but the storytelling is very tight um and i would highly recommend it and it it leaves enough of a of a plot thread dangling that i'm interested to see what happens in season four of course i was going to watch it regardless but there's, there's enough going on there where I'm like, all right, let's see what happens next. Um, but I will also say that the like the leftover threats to what happens next seem fairly small um, in the grand scheme of things. Like, someone's grumpy and on a throne, but he doesn't seem like that big of a threat. Um, then there's Dark Side, but I don't see that as big of a threat either. It's weird. Um, I thought based on the end of season two, that dark side was going to play a much bigger role in season three. And even though like granny goodness plays a fairly significant role, if, uh, I mean, you could, you could, you could even call granny being like the, the main villain for season three, but they're not really, it's almost like the villain is like the general public. Because a lot of the themes about season three deal with, like, fear of revealing your true identity, um, fear of, like, public backlash, like, the world's watching and you can't do certain things because Luther's running, like, the UN, and so there's lots of rules and restrictions kind of closing in on the heroes on all sides. Um, and there are villains taking advantage of that, but... You know, it's more like the system is, like, working against them. It's like the villain is the man, you know what I mean? So, that, that was the impression I got. I also want to give a quick nod to the show being more cognizant of its role in storytelling. When it moved to HBO Max, it is made abundantly clear that the people behind this show realized that they could tell different kinds of stories and showcase different things we talked a little bit about the gratuitous violence um especially when it comes to like blowing off cyborg's face um and most of his upper torso being a bit more graphic than it would have been had it remained on what was it cartoon network um but they also recognize that they can do some in my head some good with this as well um there was an episode about well, it wasn't about, like, they had other things going on. Uh, most episodes have, like, C and D plots. Like, there's some stories running simultaneously. Um, but there was an episode where one of the plots of the, the story was about domestic violence. And they handled it very well, in my opinion. And at the very end, they show a placard that says, Here is the hotline to call if you know or are experiencing domestic violence. And, like, there's... Here are support groups and stuff like like they they have that in the episode built in. It's right there, like before the credits run. It's like call this number, um, and I very much appreciated that because I feel like that's a really good thing to do, um, and I thought that was that was very nice. And there were several episodes that were dedicated to people who were part of the creative process who are unfortunately not with us. Three by my count of people who had passed away either dur during the creation of this or since. Um, like just, I thought that was, that was very well done. The show dealt with things like loss, closure, um, the whole identity, uh, thing. Mind control was a big theme in this and free will was, was a huge theme. Um, not only with the anti-life equation, but like the ability to make your own choices and all that stuff. Like a lot of big cop topics were covered in this, in this season. And I thought it, it went very well. Um, there were, there weren't any moments or characters I was like particularly annoyed by, um, except for some of the villains, uh, Dr. God, what the, f 
that's one thing I'll say. I don't remember a lot of people's names. Like, with the Markovs, it's like, there's Gregor, and then there's the other ones. And it's like, I can only ever remember Gregor and Breon, right? It's just like, I don't know. I, the names, there were a lot of new characters thrown at me, and I don't remember them all. Dr. Jace, that was her name. Dr. Jace. Her motivations are twisted. Um, and this whole idea of like, I've killed their human sides, and through my magic tar, they became my children. And I see myself as a weird, horrifying mother figure as I watch my children go out and kill things. And then there's the shit with the mother and father boxes with Cyborg and um, Halo, right? Where they're, they have like near god powers, but they're not quite sure how to use them. There's, there's some big topics and it's just like, wow, I can't believe that's a thing. It's, it's, it's grandiose. Show also deals with this is something I've touched on briefly. Show also deals with sexuality in different ways. We've we had bisexuals. Uh, I believe Aquaman would technically be pansexual if I had to put a uh, like a, a, a thing on it because I'm pretty sure that's what the internet said he was. Um, as we meet his new partner, was it Wyatt? Was it Wayne? I can't remember. Um, but he seemed cool. Um, gosh, yeah, it was. Uh, the relationships in this show were uh, fairly complex. Um, and I enjoyed that some of the directions went in different ways than what I thought was going to happen. Like with Artemis and um, Jim Harper. Uh, it was just like, you know, they thought they had feelings for each other. And then they're like, oh, wait, no, we don't. We're family. That'd be weird. Um, and so it just, that was it. Seems like they're kind of poking and hyping it up like all season. And then they're just like, nah, this feels weird. We're not doing this. This is gross. Uh, and then they didn't. So, and then there's this gorgeous scene of Artemis and like Wally saying goodbye. Um, even though we find out later that it was like fabricated thanks to Miss Martian and Zatanna and stuff like that. But I, I mean, it's still, it's still good. It's still good. I liked it a lot. Um, I thought that was very sweet. Yeah, it was it was awesome, but the 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 cliffhanger for season three is is really minimal, um, and to be honest, I'm not entirely sure where they plan on going. I don't know if even if there's another time jump, I'd be a little surprised if there was a time jump. To be perfectly honest with you, seems like there's a lot of threats happening like the not too distant future. So in order to do to do a second time jump or a third time jump rather would be kind of amazing to me. Um, I haven't started season four, so I don't know they could, but I'd be, I'd be shocked if they, if they pulled that move. But all in all, season three, Young Justice held to my expectations and exceeded them at several points. It's the funniest season, uh, so far, but it is also the darkest season so far. And you really need both in order to truly, to truly get through some of these storylines. Um, because they are, they are rough at their core. And, uh... I want to give one final nod to this show making me give a rat's ass about Black Lightning, a character who I just never really knew a whole heck of a lot about, but now he's the leader of the Justice League. Um, and that's fucking cool as hell. So good on you, Black Lightning. This is truly the the like the Carrie Payton season because he's the voice of Aqua, Aqua Lad, or Aqua, the new Aquaman. And he's also the voice of Black Lightning and a bunch of other characters. So fucking tour de force over there just acting up a goddamn storm and I loved it um yeah it was very it was very very good I would recommend it let's move on to the next thing in the podcast and because apparently I have an infinite amount of free time I'm all caught up on season four of Young Justice so far so good I'm enjoying it boy I hope you like Superboy and Miss Martian because that's pretty much all you're gonna get for those first three episodes uh they're working on getting married but wouldn't you know it's trouble afoot also, there's these weird hints to the Justice Society of America which I could have sworn was like in the past but the implication is that they're from the future and they're correcting the past so we're not entirely sure what's hip happening over on that front um but i like it so far um it's nice to have some miss martian superboy like like romance stuff that actually like matters and means something um because you know they were engaged all last season and there was some trouble in paradise but I like that they're just like, no, fuck it. We're just launching right into it. They're getting they're getting the married and stuff. But 
Wouldn't you know racism on Mars? Or as they call it, Mars. Not sure how I feel about that uh, naming style where everything's like something. My name is Gan Mars. So that's fun. But yeah, so far it's pretty good. I like it. Weekly episodes every Thursday. Make sure you hang out for those post credit scenes or d during credit scenes because they add little something somethings that are fun. Like Superman freaking out about his, his bouncing baby boy. Or uh, Garth ignoring uh, his his Lady Perdita's phone calls because he can't contact Earth or whatever. I don't know. That's my next thing in podcast. And finally this week, I want to talk about my long lifelong journey to become a Pokemon master. That's right. I have finally done it. I have a copy of one of every Pokemon card. Not every... Right, hold on, let me rephrase that because a lot of people are going to flip their bean if they misunderstand this. So, I have every Pokemon represented in card form. Not every Pokemon card. That, that one is absurd. Because there's like 50 different versions of like every Pokemon. So, just the amount of binder space needed to house those them all. Like, even if you only had one copy of each, would be absurd. Especially, like, not even thinking about things like Charizard and Pikachu, of which there are dozens of different versions. But, what I've essentially done is... I have multiple copies of different cards from, you know, my time of collecting Pokemon cards since I was, like, a kid. You know, starting in base set. Um, and then, uh, I, my most recent set that I cracked was Evolving Skies. Um... But I now have all 800 and whatever Pokemon represented. Every every Pokemon that exists in card form, I have a copy of. Let's put it that way. There are a couple of new ones that are going to come out with like Pokemon Arceus or whatever. Um, but they don't have cards yet for those guys. So I don't have them yet. However, when the cards of those ones do come out, now it is such a simple matter of just buying like the three new cards that I need to keep the set alive. Which is so much more efficient. Like, I've I've gotten a lot of booster boxes over the last couple of months. Um, just for cracking and they're, they've been a lot of fun. I filmed all of them. So I just need to do something with them at some point. But, um... Now that I know all I need to do is buy, like, the Pokemon that I don't have represented in my collection. It's gonna be so much cheaper. I purchased 301 cards in order to complete the set. That's how many individual Pokemon I was missing out of my collection. 301. It cost $110 by buying singles. Granted, they're all not all near mint, but that's roughly the equivalent of getting like a booster box if you're lucky $110. Most booster boxes are somewhere between like $150 and $200. Um, and that's just like standard release crap, not even like those celebration nonsense. Um, so I was able to get exactly what I needed and exactly what I wanted in terms of art styles and stuff like that for much less. I think the average was something like 33 cents a card, if if I remember correctly, or something like that. I don't know. You can crank the numbers yourself. Um, but it was it was low. It was very inexpensive. And that was my goal. You know, I wanted to pay less than a dollar per card on average, and I ex I exceeded that in spades. Um, I went to TCG uh, Player is where I got all my Pokemon singles. Um, and if I mean, I bought them direct from the site. Um, they shipped and arrived at my house like next day, even though I picked like 12 days shipping. So they, and the cards arrived in gorgeous condition. Even the ones that I didn't buy at like near mint were still really good. Like I didn't notice any issues with any of them. Um, so that, that is now my go-to for buying Pokemon singles is TCG player. Um, they, they knocked it out of the park. So I, I feel no shame whatsoever in giving them a little shout out. Um, they, they treated me well. The one thing I, it's not even a complaint really, cause I enjoyed the, the puzzle it presented was that the cards did not arrive in like the order in which I ordered them. Cause I ordered them in terms of like national decks number. Um, they did not arrive in that order, nor did they arrive alphabetically. They just kind of arrived jumbled, but, um, at least the orders, like I made two orders over the course of a couple of days. And so it was easy to figure out, like, oh, it's going to be in this stack or it's going to be in that stack. So that was easy. Um, and I enjoyed pawing through them and being like, ah, here it is. You know, here's the chancy card I was missing. You slap it in. So I now have three binders um, of all of these cards. I don't know how many cards I actually have. Probably 
probably about 2000 if I had to guess. Um, and that's including like all the fucking energy cards and all of my trainer cards, which I don't give a rat's ass about. Um, if I was going to brag and be like, well, I've got one of these, um, God, what's that? I've got Sky Ridge Ho-Oh, uh, which is like a $900 card. I've got the crying misty Japanese card trainer. The one that's like not fucking great because it's. I, I think she's naked. I can't remember when she's fucking 14 or whatever. I don't know. Um, I, I have that card. I think that one's worth quite a bit. Um, simply due to the notoriety of it. Um, what else do I have? Gosh, you know, I don't know. I don't have all that many valuable cards anymore. Ho's probably the jewel of my collection. Because at one point that card was worth like $3,000. Um, and I mean, it's still worth a lot. But it's not worth $3,000, um, at least. Maybe if I got it graded, then it'd be worth a bit more, but who knows. But yeah, that was that was a lot of fun to, to put together. There was, there was a couple of days where I had alphabetized all of the Pokemon cards, and then I had uh, a list of the national decks, like, on my phone. And so I would go through and be like, okay, I need to find, you know, Grubbin or whatever. And then you would go into G, and you'd pull out all your copies of Grubbin, and you'd put them in the binder, and I left gaps as I went along, knowing I would come back and fill them in later. Um, and it worked almost flawlessly. I only screwed up twice and I was able to fix it fairly easily um, within like the pages there and then without having to shuffle like 500 cards to the left or to the right. Um, but yeah, that, that system worked out really well. I did not fill in the blanks for the trainer cards. I don't give a rat's ass about the trainer cards. Somebody could go through my trainer collection and be like, dude, all of these are worth like $50 each. I wouldn't know or care. They're trainer cards. They suck. I want the cards with the critters on them. That's all I care about. So, but now I'm done. Because here's the thing, right? I don't want to buy another booster box because then I just have to do this thing all over again. And as much fun as this was, it really kind of sucked because of just the sheer amount of like, small font you had to read and just bad lighting and it was kind of a headache inducing nightmare to do this so no i'm probably never gonna buy another booster box again um it's just no like maybe some singles if there's something really cool that comes out of there but i'm not i'm not cracking boxes anymore because i want to know what i don't have my binders are full i'm not getting new binders i'm done i've, I've reached my limit so pokemon is, is i can check that off the list and um, like I said, I did record me cracking like four or five different booster boxes over the course of this last year, making this happen. So I will hopefully do something with those videos very soon. Um, and when I upload them, then I'll be sure to link them. And uh, thank you all very much for listening to the Going Upcast. Please feel free to check out all the changes made to goingupcast.com. I'm really proud of how it all came together. Um, just a little bit of, uh, sort of a side note. By the time you guys are hearing this, um, it's 7.30 uh, of the night before the episode goes live. And all those great changes to the website, I haven't made them yet. I'm about to make them. I'm about, like, they're about to happen. So, wish me luck. And I'll see you all uh, next week uh, for another brand new episode. And since I won't talk to you before then, happy Halloween, everybody. Stay safe out there. Remember that whole razor blade and the candy thing has never happened. Not once. It was just, it was an urban myth. So, yeah, because what's the point, honestly? You're just wasting good candy at that point. Have a good one, everybody.